Good morning. Glad you're here today. Let me begin with some good news and then more good news and more good news. Uh, first, I get to introduce a, a new family to the West 7th Church, uh, the Sapiki family. Their pictures are on the screen. Y'all mind standing where you are, giving us a wave? Uh, you may know this family. If not, I want to encourage you to, to get to know them. Uh, I'll share this. I'll start with the young ones first. Gabriel is 16 and Daniel is 13. Uh, they both like football and soccer and help with their cattle farm. Uh, Teresa works at First Bank uh, with mortgages. Uh, Scott works there also, mortgage originator. They have the cattle farm, and he's got a part-time gig in Nashville. Uh, you may know about that. But uh, uh, welcome to the Sapiki family and, and get to know them. If you're looking for a church home, we encourage you to make this your church home. There is a little box on the attendance sheet you can check saying you're interested in that or just see one of the ministers or elders, and we'd love to kind of help that process. Uh, I think someone mentioned earlier in our worship how encouraging it is. I think it was Chris in his prayer that we're doing more and more uh, back to normal, and I thought about that especially this weekend. Uh, we had the Spanish singing Friday night, and talking with Alex about that, it's one of the first big events in the whole uh, Spanish church in the area, and uh, just excited that we could host that. Our teens are having their retreat this weekend, and so they're not with us this morning, but uh, look forward to, to good reports from both of those. Along that line, next week, next Sunday night, we're going to have Connect. We started these a couple of years ago where once a month on a Sunday night, we try to have a special focus. Uh, I just encourage you to mark that on your calendar. Next week, it'll start at 5 with the time change, and we'll share more of the details next Sunday morning. We're going to continue our series our study of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you, you can turn to the back of the bulletin for an outline. And I really want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We're going to use that as our text and, and walk our way through there. You ever ask yourself the question, what is God's will for my life? Maybe you're at an important crossroads. You needed some divine guidance. Uh, maybe it was uh, about to graduate high school. You're thinking, do I go to trade school or do I go to college? And if you're choosing a college, it's you know, what is my major, or, or which college do I attend? Or maybe you're in a serious relationship, and you're wondering, is this the one for me? God, do you want me to marry this person? What is your will for my life? Or maybe it's a job, you know, do I stay in this job, or do I look for a better job? Or which house should we buy? What kind of car will we drive? God, what's your will for my life? Well, Francis Chan, in his book, Forgotten God, I've shared that book uh, a couple of quotes through this series, but he's got a chapter, it's titled, Forget About God's Will for Your Life. Well, that caught my attention. So I kept reading, and he makes the case that asking that question may be a misguided way of thinking and talking. And he points out what we already know, that when you look at Scripture, what you find is examples like God calling Abraham, but with a very generic, you go to a land I will, follow, I will show you. Or even Jesus himself, when he was calling his disciples, just simply said, follow me. It wasn't specific. It wasn't path A or path B. It was just open-ended call to discipleship, to a life of faith, to obedience. God never promised you a 20-year plan, but what he promised is I will never leave you. So after the resurrection, before he ascended to heaven, Jesus made this promise. It's on the screen, Acts 1-8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What a promise. And what a scope. You will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. And then when you read through the remainder of the New Testament, you read again and again statements like these, 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Or verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Or Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in you. This morning, I want us to see an example, to study in Acts chapter 8, this example of how God works in us and through us. Now, the, the verses are going to be on the screen, but again, I encourage you to open your own Bible and follow along. We're going to be in chapter 8. Now, last week we studied Stephen and how powerfully God worked in him and through him and included in that list of men full of the Holy Spirit to serve alongside with Stephen was this man named Philip. So after Stephen was stoned to death, what happened then? Philip and all the others there in Jerusalem left. That's what it says, and you understand why. Look what happened to Stephen when he stood up for what was true and right. So Philip went about 35 miles north to an area called Samaria. And while he was there, Acts chapter 8 tells us, God was working through Philip as a leader in the church. The good news was shared. Both men and women believed the good news of Jesus and were baptized. Now, earlier we saw when Stephen was met with resistance, lost his own life. But for Philip, it was just the opposite. I mean, it was like a ministry success. All kinds of people were accepting the good news. They were being baptized into Christ. In fact, it was, in, in a church setting, you think it was the best of times. I mean, it was exciting to be a part of this new movement. Verse 8 of, of chapter 8 says, There was much joy in the city. Isn't that great? Think about that. Much joy in the city. So God is working remarkably through Philip. But then look what happens. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. You ever wish you could have an angel just to speak to you at one of those moments of decision? Like, God, if you would just tell me. Just this one time, I just need that audible voice telling me, you know, left or right, A or B. You know, what, what am I supposed to do? Well, while angels would surely help, what we've got, and you know this already, we've got the complete New Testament. Now, remember the context here. The only scriptures they have at this time is the Old Testament. At this point, God is miraculously working through his people. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. That until the New Testament was completed, we see the miracles confirming that that person was from God, that that message was from God. And we see this as the example and the pattern of how miracles were used in the New Testament. We talked about how there were three different sources and the Holy Spirit was involved in each one. That Jesus performed miracles. 
And the gospel writers will say very clearly, as Jesus would say, it was through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the apostles were able to do miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then those that they laid hands on were able to do miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of these, again, was to confirm that that person, that that message was from God or to edify the church. But we learn here in Acts 20, chapter 8, verse 26, I put this on the outline and on the screen as well, God works through us to impact the lives of of others. I want us to see this in Philip, and I want us to take this message home, that God has chosen to work through his people, through you, through me. See, why did not an angel just appear dramatically to, to the eunuch on the road? Wouldn't that be a story? When he got back home, you won't believe what happened to me. And, and others there with him would have been the witnesses of it. How dramatic, how impactful that story would have been. But God didn't work that way. That's not God's plan. When Jesus gave the commission, he told us his plan. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And Acts 1, 8 again, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. God has chosen to work through imperfect oftentimes incompetent Christians, to share the good news. And that never ceases to amaze me. Not one of us is worthy. Not one of us is adequate. And yet this is God's plan. I shared this quote before. I don't know who said it. I tried to look it up again, and, and, and it's attributed to all different sources. But God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. God uses his imperfect people to tell his wonderful story. Because if you keep reading in verse 26, this angel gives Philip very specific instructions. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south. I looked up that word south. It's the same word that in Acts 22, same book, but just a couple of chapters later, is translated noon. And that might be a more accurate translation here. Because you keep reading it's a little bit further. It says, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now, notice what's happening here. Here's Philip in Samaria. And things are rocking and rolling. I mean, the church is exploding. There's much joy in the city. I mean, Philip is having a great time. And, and people are just excited about the good news. And God pulls him away from there to go to this deserted road in the heat of the day why why would God pull Philip out of the middle of all this ministry success to go to this lonely place see this story reveals an incredible truth I want to make sure we get it God will go to incredible lengths to reach just one person that's how much he wants everyone to be saved. Some of you know that because he did that for you. Because if you read through the book of Acts, what you'll see is, especially in the early chapters, it'll talk about the numbers. And it'll talk about thousands and then great multitudes. But church history is not about numbers. And you read through the book of Acts and you see programs started to help care for people, like in chapter 6, to care for the widows. 
But church history is not about church programs or ideas that we may come up with. You read through the book of Acts and you tell about all the places where the people gathered. But church history is not about the locations where they met or the the places that they rented or or the buildings that they may have built. Because what you read through in the book of Acts is story after story of lives being changed. That's what's going on here. Sometimes it's about thousands. Sometimes it's a story about a household. And sometimes it's a story about one single individual. It's not about the big numbers. It's about loving people one at a time. So let's notice how God is working through Philip to reach this one. With no explanation, the angel tells Philip, go at noon in the heat of the day to this deserted road. What an instruction. And you have to love verse 27 because it just simply says, and he rose and went. He doesn't say, but wait, things are going great right here. Isn't there someone else you can? No, he rose and went. Philip doesn't know why. He doesn't know exactly what's going on here, and yet he obeys. I'll put this on the screen. Oswald Chambers said this, You will learn more about the Holy Spirit in five minutes of personal obedience than in five years of intellectual study. You will learn more about the Holy Spirit in five minutes of personal obedience than in five years of intellectual study. Verse 27, it says, there was the Ethiopian, a eunuch. That's what we call him, isn't it? Ethiopian eunuch. We need to talk about that for a moment. And that, in those days, if you worked in the king's harem or if you worked for a queen like in this, this man, oftentimes they were castrated to make sure nothing inappropriate happened. Just kind of part of the job. So next time you think your uniform is a little too much or your job has some restrictions, just go, Acts chapter 8, I'm a happy camper, (laughs) you know? But we have to talk about that. Verse 27, 28, it says, He was a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, scholars will say this man was from what we think of today as southern Sudan. And if you think of Africa, think of kind of in the heart of Africa. And that was, in their minds, the southernmost part of the world. And so think about what's happening here. If that's in their mind, like people way far that way, the gospel of Jesus Christ is about to make a significant geographical leap in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God's Spirit was working through his people. Now, a few things we know. He obviously had an impressive position. In charge of all the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia, one commentary said, think of him as the minister of finance. This is not small potatoes here. This man had a significant position. In fact, even the, that he's riding in a chariot tells you he had a significant position. One author said, think of him riding or being actually driven in a Bentley or a Rolls Royce. That's the caliber of position that we're talking about here. But this most significant thing that this Ethiopian would need to know about, he's searching for the true God. 
He must have traveled over a thousand miles by chariot. Some estimate that would have taken a month at a time. He must have believed in this one true God because he'd gone to the temple in Jerusalem to worship. But yet his deepest questions were still not answered. And so he, he's, he's wanting to know. He's asking. Do you remember God's promise in Jeremiah? You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Acts 8, 29 says, So the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. A couple of things I want us to learn from this. If God's Spirit is working through you, He will lead you out of your comfort zone. If God's Spirit is working through you, He will lead you out of your comfort zone. Now think about what's happening again. Philip, there in Samaria, having incredible successes, and the angel of the Lord calls him out to this deserted road. See, one of the fallacies of asking for God's will for a specific situation in our lives, whether it's about schooling or, or about maybe a job or about marriage or about maybe buying a house, down deep, down deep, more often than not, what we're concerned with is what's best for us, our personal happiness, what's the wisest choice for us, true? Isn't that what we're thinking? But God is interested in his purposes. What he wants to accomplish in you and through you for the kingdom. He never loses sight of this. So God pulls Philip out of the successful spotlight into the middle of nowhere to talk to this stranger. So number two, if God is working through you, then close proximity to non-Christians is required. His goal, remember, is to save the whole world. That's why Jesus came. And we are to be the witnesses to tell everybody. So if God's working through you, then he's going to call you to be in close proximity to those who don't know the Lord. One author said, you're going to find yourself chasing some chariots. The Ethiopian needed help. And Philip came to help him. Now, let's talk about this because this can be a challenge. It is for me. I'm surrounded by Christians. I work with them. Go to church with them. It's my life. Some of you have that same struggle. You know what I'm talking about. But I also know in reading through this, just understanding just the whole message of the Bible is that you and I need to be doing this very thing, opening our eyes, opening our ears, opening our hearts for opportunities for God to put us in the path of someone who does not know. Someone that we can help. So maybe for you, your chariot is the grocery store. Or maybe the restaurant that you go to all the time. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's on the field. Or on the court. Or in the classroom. Maybe it's where you golf. Maybe it's where you get your hair done. Maybe God is calling you to invite a friend or a neighbor to a small group Bible study that you're a part of. Maybe that's why you need to be in a small group Bible study. Not so much for you. But who could you invite to come and talk about things of God? What we learn about from Acts 8 is proximity matters. Listen to this quote. Joe Eldridge, after years of research, made this statement. After being a Christian for two years, the average Christian no longer has a single significant relationship with a non-believer. Think about what that means. And what's troubling 
We become comfortable with that. We're not talking about those who are weak in the faith, and we need to make sure we surround ourselves with those who are spiritually strong, lest we go astray. We really harp that you know, to our teenagers who are coming to faith, to surround themselves with others. But what about those of us who are mature? We've got a few more years on us. We know the Lord. We're walking with him. Have we so isolated ourselves from those who need the gospel the most? Maybe God's Spirit is challenging you to rethink that. Number three, if God's Spirit is working through you, church will be a welcoming place. Because that's the way we're thinking. That's the way we see people. Years ago, I heard a good man here say something that bothered me greatly. Now he's moved away, so don't try to guess who it is. But he was commenting about a family that was visiting here. And it was a man and a woman, very attractive couple, very well-to-do, you know, not well-to-do, but just well-put-together, you know what I mean. They just looked like just the, the ideal family. They, they had, you know, two children, and you just look at them and think, what a nice family. And his comment was, now, now those are our kind of people. That struck me, and I've never forgot, because I thought, who are our kind of people? Because when I see Jesus relating with people, I see him talking, yes, with, with, with those that you know, have the position, like Nicodemus. But what more often you read about Jesus is talking to, reaching out to the misfits, the social outcasts, the sinners, the one who didn't have the positions, they don't have the resources, they don't have the means. And Jesus was so patient with them. Even here in Acts chapter 8, here's Philip called away from the masses to reach this one single man who held a very significant position. Can I admit something to you? It does my heart good when I come to worship and I see somebody coming in with jeans right by somebody who's coming in wearing a suit. I love that. You got both. And they're both comfortable wearing what they want to wear. Or you may see a family that, that's from one end, the whole pew won't even hold them all. I mean, it's such a sweet thing to see a family just so full. And then on the row, maybe behind them are three people who have come alone, maybe sitting next to each other. Or you see the young, I love it, midway point in the sermon, there's one little one, hadn't happened yet. They get so loud, the mom or dad has to take them out. I love that. Young, old, we're all in this together. Some people, they're just getting started their faith journey. Some, they've been at it all their lives. I've even been told, that was a heck of a sermon. But they didn't say heck. I said, thank you. <laughs> I want to be in a church where our kind of people are God's kind of people. The one where his spirit will work in us and open our eyes and say, you can speak to them. You can go sit with them. You can reach out to them. You can share Jesus with them. That's what's happening here. Look at verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? Now notice here very quickly how Philip shares his faith. All of us can do this, people. All of us can do this. It's simple. First, he starts where the man is. He doesn't push. He doesn't say, hey, let me tell you what I know. Not at all. He just starts where the man is. Number two, he begins with the question. 
He doesn't launch into this planned, rehearsed speech. He doesn't pull out his Bible and start quoting things at him. Not at all. He asks the question. And then third, maybe most importantly, he listens. He listens. What a great model for sharing our faith. I read about a Christian lady named Jan. Her story was shared in the book Irresistible Evangelism. Jan and a few of her friends were at an evangelism conference talking about sharing the good news of Jesus. Well, later that night, they went back to the hotel, and the three ladies, they had gone to, uh, they were sitting in the hot tub at the hotel and just kind of rehashing the day, just enjoying the moment. And two teenage girls who were, happened to be at the hotel also came and got into the hot tub. And one of the teenage girls named Brittany was passionately telling her friend about an upcoming Wicca gathering that she planned to attend. This is what Jan says. Normally, we would have tried to counter the girls' ideas, but we decided to listen. I said something simple like, wow, you really sound excited about this. And this was all the encouragement she needed to launch into a five-minute explanation of why she was so attracted to the neo-pagan rituals. The bottom line... The bottom line, she says, was that she had a really traumatic time in high school and the Wiccas had accepted her. She said, I've gone through so much junk just trying to make it through high school that I'll probably be in therapy for the rest of my life. Jen said, I tried to mirror back what she said and I said to her, sounds like you've had a, it's been hard for you to even imagine a future where you'd be set free from all the pain you've gone through. What came next, Jen wrote, completely floored me, she said, with tears starting to form in her eyes and a complete sincerity in her voice. She said, sometimes I wish I could be born all over again. I'd really like a fresh start. After a long pause, one of the ladies asked if she'd really like to be born again, and she said, yeah, I really would. And so they were able to tell her about a new birth, a new start, about starting over again. You start where the person is, you ask questions, and you listen. When Philip asked this man, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31, the Ethiopian says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now remember, the eunuch is reading from Isaiah chapter 53, because, again, the New Testament had not been written yet. They didn't have the New Testament scriptures. This is all they had was the Old Testament. And remember, Isaiah 53 talks about sin and the Savior and sacrifice. I mean, if you're going to pick a verse out of all of the Old Testament, Isaiah 53 would be a perfect verse to start with. Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. That is sharing your faith. Sharing your faith is not talking about your morals. Sharing your faith is not talking about your political beliefs. Sharing your faith is not talking about what they are doing wrong. You may think you're doing good, that you're sharing your faith, but you're not. Write this down. It's on the screen. It's on your outline. Sharing your faith is sharing the good news of Jesus. 
That's what we're talking about here. That's what Philip does. He just says, here's the good news. Starting that very scripture and told him Jesus. Verse 36, we read what the Ethiopian's response was. Now, it had been a long journey. He had found what he was looking for. He was ready to make a decision. Philip shared the good news. Must have talked about believing in this Jesus. Must have talked about repenting. Must have talked about baptism. Because look at verse 36. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Not a decision to be put off. He understood it was an act of obedience. Verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Let's think as we close how God's Spirit was working through Philip to impact this man. Now, God specifically spoke through this angel to Philip to do this very thing, this divine appointment to share his faith. But God can do the same thing to us. But I look at this situation. This man is from Ethiopia. He's traveled a thousand miles by chariot. His native language would not have been Greek, but somewhere along the line he had learned it because he's reading from the scriptures. This man was traveling along this deserted road reading Isaiah 53. Philip comes along and says, hey, what are you reading? Do you understand? This is no accident. God's hand is all over this. God is working. You have been saved so that God can work through you to save someone else. That's the good news. It's not about what house you buy. It's not about which college you go to. It's not about all these things. We, God, I need What he wants to do is work through you to share the good news with others. I'm not sure how often it happens, but it happens. There are these divine appointments all around us. And Luke records here five powerful words about Philip. And he rose and went. We've been in the book of Acts a lot in this study. Starting chapter 1, today in chapter 8. Do this. you got your Bible open? If you're not, grab your Bible. I want you to turn one more passage. Turn to Acts 29. If you don't have a Bible, there's one on the pew. Acts 29. Last chapter. Very end of the book. Let me stop you right there. Because there is no Acts 29. Thank you for those of you that were kind of playing along so the person next, next to you would not feel bad. There's no Acts 29. Do you know my point? We are living Acts 29. And you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. Go and tell the good news. That's what God wants to do for us. This week and in the weeks to come, you're going to have what you might even call Acts 29 moments. Maybe you have, whatever you want to call it, hunch, impulse, nudge, reminder to send a note, to make a call, to write the email, to pray. You're going to brush it off? Or maybe you think, I'll, I'll do that at some point and never get around to it? 
or will you be obedient? That God, I mean, you're asking him all the time, are you not? Lord, help me, guide me, instruct me, show me. How's he going to do that? If he doesn't bring to your mind, here's an opportunity where you can reach out, where you can be the one. Maybe you think you moved into that house because you could afford it, or maybe it was the right size for you, and it's time for you to make that decision. But what if God's thinking, no, there's someone living two doors down that I need to work through you to reach them. Or maybe you think you got the promotion because God blessed you with a good position. You worked hard, and he's giving you better pay. And God's not even thinking about that as much as he's thinking there's someone at your work. They're questioning. And they need someone to help point them to Jesus. Or maybe you think you're going to lunch today to your favorite spot because that's what you do on Sunday. But God is leading you to that server who, they're short-staffed, the wait is long. You know, you've been there. It's everywhere. And you show a godly amount of kindness and patience. And that server sees you praying and he thinks, you know, maybe I don't need to give up on God. Maybe I need to soften my heart to who he really is. See, maybe the places you work, where you go to school, where you shop, it's not about you. It's not about you at all. In God's mind, it's about how he can work through you. That's what God is trying to accomplish. So the story of the church continues to be written. And let us pray for the Holy Spirit to work through us. God working in you and through you. I wonder if today is a divine appointment. That God has been orchestrating all through your life. People, circumstances, situation that you are here today. And we're about to sing a song to invite you to confess that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And have your sins washed away in baptism. It's no accident. That's what God wants for you. He wants for you to be saved. He wants for you to live with him in eternity. We do too. And so we're going to sing this song to encourage you. And maybe for you as we sing, you just think about, Lord, open my eyes, my ears, my heart, so I can see you working in my lives. And then give me, like Philip, that spirit to obey. Let's stand and sing together.